SAFM Sports Special with John Ferrica. There's no sport too small. Let's go to the Olympic Games now. Get an update on what's happening at Rio. Good afternoon slash good morning to you, Manfred Seidler. SABC brings you the Rio 2016 Olympics live on SABC TV channels and SABC radio stations. Well, John, it's all happening in the marathon. 32 k's into the race and uh, Elliot Kipchoge has thrown down the hammer. At the uh, halfway mark, we had a pack of about 10 or so athletes, including South Africa's Lusapo April and Sibusi Nzima. And in fact, Nzima was part of the group that was chasing the, was, was uh, leading the pack. And a very, very uh, dangerous move to make for a 2.11 marathon runner. These guys were running at 2.11 pace. They've now gone and upped it. Kipchoge is absolutely pushing it. Galen Rupp of the United States is hanging on for dear life. Bahani of, of Ethiopia beginning to drop off and less of Ethiopia still there. But that is the move being made by uh, Elliot Kipchoge. He's, w- one, he's run seven marathons. He's won six of them. He's just been off the world record a couple of times. He's in phenomenal shape. And that is probably going to be your gold medalist um, coming right there. But... Uh, both Lusapo in April and Sibusis and Zima, they fell off the pack at 27 kilometers to go. Rupp is now looking around. Zalesi is right there behind him. Behind him beginning to fall off. Um, uh, Kipchoge leading, the, leading this race. We've got 10 kilometers to go. And he's now gradually going to start surging. He's got this look in his eye that he had when he won London that... Uh, it's it, basically you're going to have to stick to his his, his toes, his heels rather, if you want to if you want to get anywhere near him. He's in absolute uh, awesome shape, and uh, I reckon he'll take the world record in his next race, which will probably be Berlin uh, next year. But uh, South Africa's race is run in the marathon. Lugile Gonka went backwards after the 15k mark, and Sibusiso uh, Nzima and Lusapo April are uh, also they've also gone off this group. Remember, also still at uh, half past. Uh, Half past five today, it's, we've got the mountain biking cross-country going on, and it'll be James Reed and Alan Hatherley. And uh, South Africa's 10-medal haul, which is what they expected or hope, were hoping for, that has been achieved. Um, but no more medals coming for Team South Africa from this marathon, I believe. SABC brings you the Rio 2016 Olympics, live on SABC TV channels and SABC radio stations. You're with SAFM Sports Special, and it's got a headline here on my piece of paper that culture, uh, culture gives me. It says here, women in sports slash swimming. Natalie DeToy is in studio. I think you're a little bit more than just women in sports slash swimming at the moment, aren't you? Well, I think uh, I'm wearing many hats at this moment in time, and mm. just trying to find my feet. I think once you've been a swimmer for so many years, you don't really know what you, what you can achieve. And uh, furthermore, yeah, just you know, studying, being part of the women's sports talk show, um, and then... You know, um, I'm in PR, marketing, and social media, uh, doing a bit of motivational speaking, and, yeah. and obviously watching the Olympics. Okay, which, which, uh, I asked this question yesterday. Of the non-traditional sports, I mean, so take out track and field, take out swimming, you're not allowed to look at swimming. Which is, which is the sport you enjoy the most at the Olympic Games? I must admit, um, I quite enjoy the triathlon, and I think it's all those sports that we have a few upsets, um, you know, where it's not the, the norm that mm. usually wins. Um, and I know that's probably the worst thing to say because you, you wish, you know, athletes well. Um, but sure, you know, the rugby we've, we've watched, and so obviously being a like rugby, rugby. Na- rugby nation, the tennis has been quite good. Um, What's tennis? So, um, yeah, I, I watch a bit of everything. Um, I don't watch everything fully, so mm. um, keep your eye on the pulse. And I think that's, you know, part of social media as well. It's to know what's going on all around rather than sit and watch one thing at a time. I found that as well. It's, it, you know, there, there, there's just so much. And we were talking about this yesterday. It's just this 
massive overload of sport. And you don't sort of watch the whole competition, which is a little bit sad because, you know, you, you catch snippets. And I was watching, um, I think it was Serbia against China, the women's volleyball final. It was from last night. And I didn't know, you know I've never seen them play. And here they are at the final. And they've played rounds and rounds and quarterfinals and things. And it's a little bit sad because you'd like to know that story. 100%. And I think, uh, you know, next Olympics, is, there's going to be another five uh, sports joining, which is something that's also completely different. So um, I think... What we found in South Africa, and definitely something that I found, is that um, there, there tend to be more athletes taking part uh, at this Olympics. So mm-hmm. now we're watching all the channels because we actually have teams <laughs> at all the channels, and you don't know which one um, to look at first. Mm. So I think that's more exciting, and actually to see that growth um, rather than just we're in the swimming or we're in the athletics. But mm. you know, it's the rugby, it's it's if all the other rowing. sports that we rowing, especially. I mean, they've come from you know they've ta- taken leaps and bounds and achieving amazing things so you know the depth there is phenomenal and I think it makes one more proudly South African if I can call it that especially at these games obviously we support our athletes and we support South Africa um, but to see that and to see that we we are featuring um, is phenomenal I've fallen into the trap of saying that we've won medals and what's it like somebody who's gone and won medals you've won medals overseas and a South African comes back and says we won it but I did nothing I sat and watched you on the TV Oh, absolutely. But, you know, it's it's every athlete's dream, I think, to go out there and to be able to win that medal. Olympics is a very different uh, ball game compared to a lot of the other competitions. And uh, there's a lot of athletes trying to put you off, um, psych you out. Mm. Uh, it's it's quite challenging. And one doesn't really understand it until you get to that Olympic Games. And, um, you know, you, everyone's there for themselves at the end of the day, which is not quite what the Olympics is about. Mm. Um, but that's, that's that step that you have to grow up and, and be at the Olympic Games. And I think um, that's one of the biggest challenges. But, uh, you know, always, probably South Africa, no matter if we come fourth, fifth, first, Still we, won, um, eh? we win a medal. And it's, you know, everybody, it's, <laughs> we're South Africa. Come on, you know, they, they won it on behalf of us. Okay, we've we got so much to talk about, Natalie. But the first thing I want to do is know how much about you you know. All right. So sure. we, we've got 10 questions, one minute. We'll see how well you do with you. All right, you ready? Start the clock. Go. Which primary school did you go to? Uh, Time Hall Primary. Correct. How old were you when you had your scooter accident? 17. How old were you at your first Commonwealth Games? Wow, 14. Correct. Who was the first person with a disability to have qualified for the final of an able-bodied event? <laughs> Definitely not me. There were people before me. No, it was you. <laughs> How many gold medals did you win in 2008 Games? Oh, sure. Um, I think it was five. Correct. Yeah. yeah. December 2009, you received which award? Are you going to give me A, B, C, D? Okay. The order of what? Oh, order of Ekamanga. Correct. You were awarded the Laureus World Sports Person of the Year with a Disability Award in which year? 2010. Correct. What, do you stud- what did you study at the University of Cape Town? Well, that, that is definitely not a true fact, but I started uh, BSc in genetics and physiology. Correct. Um, you have to tweak your Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> uh, you were one of two Paralympians to compete at the 2008 Summer Games. Who was the other one? Natalia Patenka. Patenka. Correct. Well done. Nine out of ten. There we go. Well, you got them all right, really, because it's about you. Uh, my last question is, on, of all the medal winners in Paralympics, what number are you? So the most, the most is number one. Where are you down oh, in the list? I'm probably, I, yeah, I would say fifth, six, somewhere around there. You're 20th, Natalie. 20th, What's yeah. r- Well, you know, there's, there's a lot of ties. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Did you not practice enough? Absolutely or? not. I think I was just disabled so late in life. No. Um, <laughs> sorry. But, um, yeah, I think, 
you know, I, I only had a certain amount of races that I could swim, and I sure. swam them all, and there was no more that I could do. Oh, I'm just looking here, and it's also length of career. I mean, the, the winner is, or the leader, Tricia Zorn of the U.S., Olympic Games from 1980 to 2004. That's a long time. To See, leave. I was only disabled at 17, and <laughs> I ended my career at 28, so there was only time for the second out. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Trisha was competing for 24 years. That's a long time yeah, to compete. Yeah. Yeah? 55 medals. Compared I, mean, to how, I think mine was just 12 years, so yeah. you know, three, Olympic, three Paralympics. How many medals have you got? Sure, in total. Yeah, no, Paralympic medals. Uh, are you asking a lot? You don't have them on the wall. No, I don't actually know where half of them are. Sorry. Um, you know when you when you swim Olympics, Paralympics, and you win medals, and it, they're quite heavy to bring home. So <laughs> generally, they came home with family or you know my manager. So mm. they they are scattered um, in a few places. <laughs> but I don't really have any medals in my house, and yeah, I think it's it's easier for me that way as well. You've so. got fifteen, by the way. Thirteen. Thank you. Thirteen, <laughs> 13 gold, two silver, and, and nobody has bronze. Um, why do you, did you bite your medal? Uh, I think everybody bites their medals. Um, I've been asked to do it a few times, but okay. uh, my teeth are very sensitive, so it's not quite the best thing for me. But uh, you know, in swimming, unfortunately, I, I have this conversation with my dentist, and it eats <laughs> all the dentine of your teeth, the chemicals in the water. All right. So it's one of the worst things for a swimmer. Um, but yeah, you know, as you go on and your career gets, you know, gets sort of bigger and better, um, you kind of go through all of that, and that's part of part of Part of parcel. So you got chlorine in the water, the gold medal on your teeth as well. <laughs> That's just chaos as well. Um, okay, so Olympic Games, obviously, you're keeping a close eye on that. We've got an issue in swimming at the moment. Chad and Cameron are, are well, Chad's still fine. Cameron's getting old. We, we've got an issue in swimming, don't we? We don't have enough athletes, or are they there? Yeah, I think I think there are quite a few youngsters coming up. Um, there is definitely a drive um, for you know young athletes or young swimmers to come up. I think um, you know. Every country has a low. Um, we've seen the Australians, we've seen the Americans. Um, there's always a group that comes through, and then we have that lull, and then mm. there's another group that comes through. And I think our group just, we're all retired at similar times. Um, and I, I mean, I went through three, um, what would you call them, different age groups. So I had three completely different groups of people that I swam with that think completely differently, compete very differently. Um, and it's now time for those youngsters to come through. So there was a bit of a, a lull in a few years where we didn't really have too many swimmers. We were counting on one or two. Um, at our nationals, I saw that you know there are quite a few women that, um, especially in the breaststroke, they were very close to qualifying for the Olympic Games. So we hope that you know there's more push towards um, swimmers and, and good swimmers. They're all sort of on that brink um, between sort of B qualifying, and mm. they haven't quite reached that A qualifying time. And South Africa only takes the A qualifying time, so um, that way is a challenge. But I think you know it's a big package. It's you know more competitions um, internationally. It's getting into the pool, working harder, and not harder in a sense that they don't work hard, but, uh, you know, harder in a sense that um, they've got to go to school. They've got to, um, you know, a job, if possible, to try and pay for their, their swimming, um, pay for their studies. And then, you know, women, of course, you know, they want to go and have families, et cetera, et cetera. So it's extremely challenging, I think, for swimmers. Um, I myself had given up everything to swim. Um, I train eight hours a day towards the end of my career. Sure. And, you know, <laughs> then you try and study and 
you need to rest and you know it takes you an hour to training and an hour back from mm. training so there's a lot that 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 plays in there and and I can understand why you know a lot of the women struggle within the sport um our swimmers also tend to go over to America and study which is a lot easier because their their studies actually revolve around their swimming whereas in South Africa your studies come first and you know in my day when I tried to study my BSc um <laughs> if I missed one or two lectures nobody helped me catch it up because I wasn't in lectures and it was like I I didn't come to class so very challenging but I think you know as the system goes on it needs to grow a little um, and we are a sporting nation so hopefully it will get better and better and we're a summer nation as well so you you think pools would be all over the place well, you know, there are quite a few swimming pools. Obviously, some of them are extremely old. I know I grew up in Cape Town. The Newlands swimming pool is, you know, sort of falling down on one side. But, um, <laughs> you know, up in Joburg, we've got, you know, your Germistons. You've got your Ellis Parks. Um, quite a few pools in Soweto, which are, are quite nice pools. You know, one was enclosed while I was still a swimmer. Um, but definitely, you know, I think it's more we need a culture of of you know, the kids getting in and learning to swim. Mm. Um, I lived in Europe for a little while and I saw the the youngsters there. You know, if you if you have a child you go to the local swimming pool and they are water safe. Um and again, what is water safe? You know, water safe at the age of six months or water safe at the age of three years, three and a half years. Right. So yeah. there's also that challenge. But really, you know, as I said, in Europe, they've got a, a bit of a culture of the child has to learn to swim and they just enjoy whatever sport you're doing, just to absolutely have fun. You know, my career wouldn't have been able to be so long um, if I didn't enjoy what I did. Natalie DeToy is in studio with us. If you have any questions for her or any comments, uh, you can drop us an SMS, 34701. And we're also on the phone lines, 891 if you want to have a chat with Natalie. We play wicked cricket. It's for the number one fans of the Proteas. Watch as the Proteas battle the Black Caps in their fifth and final match in the first test series this Tuesday at 9.30 a.m. Experience it live on SABC3 and listen live on your favorite SABC radio station. SABC Sport for the love of the game. The women of 1956 forged a path for generations to follow, a path that led us to equality for all. SAFM, honoring the women of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's Moshito time. The Moshito Music Conference and Exhibition takes place from the 7th to the 10th of September 2016 at the SABC. Register now to be part of Africa's premier music market on the continent where industry pioneers and experts from across the globe gather for an unforgettable experience, share and explore ideas on how to grow the music industry. Visit moshito.co.za for more information and join the conversation on social media. See you there. SAFM Sports Special with John Kereka. Your sporting information center. How long were you known as Natalie Dutois? Sure. I, I think every now and again, uh, traveling overseas, you become the Dutois, the Dutois, the... Um, there's many different uh, pronunciations. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of people also still mix me up with Penny. Um, <laughs> and I think because of the swimming thing, so a yeah. lot of people say, hi, Penny, and I don't quite have the heart to say, no, I'm not Penny, you know. Because um, a lot of the... You know, if you say that, a lot of the people out there actually think, no, I'm thinking about the completely wrong person. Right. Whereas actually they're speaking about the right person. But, uh, just they got yeah. the name wrong or something. Yeah. Right? So I think, you know, it's quite it's quite interesting because Penny is quite a bit older than me. Um, and I actually came in towards the end of her career. So obviously looked up to her as well as a mm. role model and, and uh, what she's achieved. Apparently Penny Haynes is going to be in the studio next week, so we'll, no one knows. My producer's <laughs> lying to me. He's just trying to line up all the cool swimmers. Um, 
you're quite humorous about your disability, and I know. I think we've spoken before on the phone, uh, where you you kind of admitted like, and and I know that Paralympians are the worst when it comes to joking about their disabilities, and it's it's still PC, isn't it, to, to not do it? But you guys are you don't care. Right? Well, I think uh, I always give the advice that if you're disabled, you're allowed to joke. If you're not, you're not allowed okay, to. But, good uh, <laughs> but I think for you know from my side, it's it's one way of being able to deal with something. And I think um, you know, yes, you have your down moments, and yes, your challenging moments. Um, but I've been fortunate to to be around, surrounded by a team that always said to me, you know, Natalie, there's a way we can get around this. Um, you know, being open water, and I had to go into the water um, and start off pontoons. How do I get down there with my leg? I needed a, a leg that didn't rust, etc., etc. So, you know, there was always we always had to make sure that there were extras, and we took a bit of extra time. Um, but definitely the humorous side of it, you know, it's it's one way to get through life with the challenge. But to be humorous about it just adds that little bit of um, what would you call it? You know, the fun part of it or the fun angle. See, you brought it up earlier about uh, you finding your feet, and I, I, yeah, I wasn't sure if that's like a joke or not. I tell you a terrible story though. It, I was I was the editor of uh, a news bulletin that was being put together, and you started. I think you won your heat easily or something. Yeah. And my reporter who wrote the story says that Natalie the toy put her best foot forward and won the first leg. And I was like, guys, you can't do that, you know? Because but that's just the way one would speak. Oh, uh, absolutely, you know. And I know that you know. I was uh, one of my races. I think it was Beijing in the butterfly, and the commentator says on the hop, and I just thought, <laughs> wow, you know. And I play it over and over, and I just think it's it's really for me, it's funny. Um, mm. And I think from my side, it's also nice to see that people don't see that difference. When, um, to yeah. them, you're just human. To them, you have a dream, and you're going for a dream. There's no one leg, half a leg, mm. uh, two legs, and and basically that's what. You know, what I would do if I was something able-bodied, it's not, oh, I have one leg, I, I can't lead or I can't, um, you know, keep up with the pack. I yeah. want to be there, so I have to keep up with them. So you don't think one leg, two legs, whatever it is, you know. Um, I think except in sprinting, I used to wish that I had two legs. But, uh, you know, being able to start, I was always slow off the blocks. So and then having one leg, you basically just go up and down. You don't have that leg to push you forward. So, okay. so it's a bit of a challenge. Oh, um, that's right, because you've got you to stand up. Right. Yeah, so you, you stand up, and now yeah. they've got a block, uh, a, a sort of a backboard mm. that people can push off. Um, and obviously, you know, swimming against an arm amputee is very different. So, you know, they've got that block that they can push off, whereas I don't. And so you try and do gym, and you try and work the muscles to be able to go forwards. But at the end of the day, you know, your weight just goes up and down. Um, so you have to work a little harder in the rest of the swim. But would, it, would it not be egalité almost to say, well, okay, we'll all just start against the wall or something, you know, instead of the whole dive thing? Well, that's... Also a different story because, you know, rules come into the able-bodied uh, swimming and then it then follows into the Paralympics, so or yes. the, the disabled swimming. It might be a year or two later, but we basically do exactly what the Olympians or the, the able-bodied swimmers mm. do. So from that perspective, that board is there for them. The board is there for the Paralympians as well. So, you know, it's a step in, in, in keeping up with the rules of both federations. And I guess it goes back to that thing, you don't want special treatment. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, my first time I, I ever swam against disabled athletes, I think um, I saw someone with no arms and no legs and really just a head. And, and what they could achieve in that water was, was phenomenal. And the way someone sort swimmer. of a swimmer, and the way that someone took them out the pool, you know, by their head, it's, it's quite brutal. But at the same time, you know, water allows that person to, to actually achieve something and, you know, just feel normal, feel 
uh, maybe normal is not the right word to say, but just feel like they were something that, mm. you know, mm. they don't have these disabilities and these things that are, are hindering them, that they can go out there and to achieve it. You were the groundbreakers to take part in able-bodied games as well. Was that, and I know that Oscar Pistorius went through big fights to be able to do that. Was it a fight for you to say, guys, I'm good enough? Um, I, I, I swam without a, a limb, so um, I didn't have to go to court or anything to be able to swim with a prosthesis. Um, actually, I'm a through-knee amputee, so I don't have the muscle on the top half of my leg, so it probably wouldn't have done me any justice um, swimming with an aid. Um, but furthermore, I think, you know, the the challenge of going to the Olympic Games wasn't really the biggest for me. It was... It was being able to swim from a spectrum of 50 meters to 10 kilometers. Yeah. So <laughs> trying to train for the sprint, uh, the sprint of all sprints, mm. to the 10 kilometers, which is the distance of all distances. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's why I think I was very fortunate in that I swam absolutely every event. Um, and I qualified for the 10 kilometer, which is a distance uh, event, and I've always been a distance swimmer. So it sort of just made sense. It all just fell into place, which is something that I can't, it's difficult to describe to people. Um, but again, the Paralympics and the disabled side allowed me to do all those races that I used to race mm. um, when I had two legs. Mm. Yes, shorter distances, but it enabled me to achieve all of that. Um, and as I said, you know, you get into the water and it's not about, um, I have one leg or two legs. It's about, let's go. You know, I want to qualify. I have to be top 10 in the world to qualify for a South African team to go to the Olympics. And my team was on board and they did everything in their power to get me to that Olympic Games. Mm. Um, they supported me, um, you know, when it was time to try and get finances, they went out and got finances for me and, and it was a tough road, but but we managed to achieve it. And I would never have achieved it on my own. Johnny to Natalie Detoy, uh, can you stay for another five or ten minutes? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. All right. We got, we got, and maybe we'll involve you with Manfred as well, because Manfred's watching the marathon, so we're going to have a chat with Manfred as well. Uh, we got cycling coming up as well. First of all, though, let's update you on the cricket. South Africa against New Zealand, where there's South Africans, good times and great food. There's Sunfoil, this live test cricket action between South Africa and New Zealand, proudly brought to you by Sunfoil. Now we're cooking. Early day of cricket today. Let's find out a little bit more what happened in Durban. Michael Abramson joins us. Mike, you had a bit of a half-day job today, huh? Yeah, not even that, John. Disappointing <laughs> because the sun was shining all day. And really? Uh, it was perfect conditions. Unfortunately, heavy, heavy rain overnight. It rained for about 10 hours, and there's, they've replanted the outfield, which means that you've got areas of grass which haven't knitted together properly, a lot of water around the boundary ropes, and particularly on the edge of the covers, some damp areas. Apparently, they couldn't put sawdust down, or had they put sawdust down, it wouldn't have solved the problem. So the umpires gave it till 12 o'clock, had a look, said, no, it's too wet, walked out again at 2 o'clock, and decided that was it. So I hope we'll have played uh, tomorrow and and Tuesday, but it looks very much as if this test is going to be a draw, and it's going to be a centurion shootout. You know what's interesting, though, is this is part of the problem, I imagine, of having it in winter. In Durban, in summer, that would have been dried in 20 minutes. For sure. But I guess it's just the wrong time of temperatures and things. And also the Commerce Marathon, of course, took place there a short while ago, so the ground hasn't fully recovered from that. All sorts of extenuating circumstances, but for the crowd that came in to watch, very disappointing, because not a cloud in the sky, and they couldn't couldn't play. (laughs) you know, the Durbanites, they'll make something good of it. Um, I guess it does, for, for people that can get to work on Monday, Tuesday, if there is play, it could be quite exciting, actually. It could be. I think what's left in the game is for the South African attack to try and strike some mm. psychological blows. I think if they can get Williamson and Taylor early, put a few doubts in their mind, that might well give South Africa a bit of an advantage going to Centurion. But really, with a bad light coming into play, 
late in the, in the day and starts only from 10 o'clock onwards means effectively you've only got about a five, five and a half hour window. So mm. with two days left, unlikely to have a result in this game. You have to wonder why it was taken to Durban. There's always the issue of Durban with the lights, even yeah. the best of times. It's you know an early finish there. You kind of wonder why when you know the high is going to be dry. I think it's also a rotational basis. They decided that the Boxing Day test was going to Port Elizabeth. Cape Town, of course, has the New Year's test. Mm. Wondrous have got a test as well. Centurion had a test in the series. So Durban, as one of our premier test grounds, had to have a test and had to be accommodated. And they decided, the powers that be, that rather give Durban this test and not give them a Sri Lanka test late in the year. So <laughs> it's rotation more than anything. Um, I just want to talk about the other cricket on the go. It's also mm. been affected by rain. There were, two, there were three matches on the go yesterday. Correct. Every single one of them had rain. Is this global warming maybe? <laughs> yeah? it, it's a thing. It's, they're going to have to do something. I mean, one of the fans was tweeting this morning that cricket does everything in their power not to get players onto the field. <laughs> I mean, they're the only sport that seems to find all sorts of reasons not to put the players out there. But it would have been dangerous anyway. So the players, I think, were reluctant to play on, on both sides. The Windies were the same, I think. It was, yeah. a, it was a, clear, a clear day. Sure. But they, they don't have a super soft at Port of Spain. They're mm. a little bit less advanced than we are here in South Africa. So a few problems there. And then the Ireland-Pakistan game, of course, getting mm. rained out completely yesterday. It, it might be a blessing in disguise. And Dale Stain is coming back. Uh, it it yeah. doesn't hurt to, to do it slowly now. He does, it's not like he's under pressure to bowl. And, and we've got an attack that are maybe rusty or, or have been overplayed. Um, I saw a great interview with Quinton de Kock and the question was, how was your off-season? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I haven't really had one. <laughs> yeah. And maybe it's a good thing. A couple of days with your feet up and uh, in the cricket, but relaxing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well. absolutely, John. I think that's a good point, especially as South Africa have gone into this test one bowler shy. So they've got just three quicks and effectively Dane Pete, of course, Dumini and Elgot could bowl a bit, yeah. but... I know Centurion had a look at the forecast for next week and it's five perfect days of good weather so hopefully we'll have a full test for that and, uh, and then it means the players can give their all as you say because it's going to be probably the decider and both teams will want to get on the front foot early. Any crickets expected at all having a look at that outfield? Are we, is Monday, Tuesday, should people bother to buy tickets? Well I don't know, I mean Brett Proctor is very much a cricket man, he's the stadium manager, he's done everything he can with his, with his team and the ground staff there to try and get play underway. And they were even debating getting on later today. So I think, yes, it's possible. There's very little rain forecast for the rest of the test. So we probably will have some play tomorrow and Tuesday. Whether it'll be meaningful or whether there'll be a chance of doing anything in the game, time will tell. This is Sport on SAFM. Every supporter's greatest resource. Spring Manfred side lane to our conversation with Natalie Dutrois. Before we do that quickly, let me just update you. The Volta des... De, Volta de, Oh, you're going to have to put your headphones on now. Uh, this, this is your volume here. Does that make it better? No. No? Other, other way. That's, that's softer. That's louder. And that, not working. All right. So let's try another set of headphones. Um, try, the, try those ones there. Finny's pointing at me. There, was the, there we go. Manfred, so you want to get involved with Natalie Dutois? Indeed. I think I'm, I missed one of the questions there. Was I had to switch over to the, to the sister station. Yeah. But um, you were asking about uh, swimming having a problem. And I believe it does have a problem because both that's Cameron what, and Chad... That's why through. I asked the question because I know that you know it. <laughs> <laughs> so I missed the answer. I want to sorry if I'm, if I'm repeating, but I'd love to know Natalie's answer on that. Let me, let me see if I can process it. She says that it is. It's a generational change. We have some swimmers coming through. It might not be the next Olympics, but definitely the next ones. Well, right? that's promising. Is that what, is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Absolutely. And I think uh, I know Ross Tucker put out uh, um, a blog not so long ago. Um, about the development and about you know bringing people up rather than just one or two, but bring up depth and bring up ten, twelve, fifteen. So his blogs are quite interesting to to read about that as well. We really need to get Ross Tucker 
on, on the show. I think next week after Manfred's got some sleep. <laughs> um, is that all you want to talk about, Manfred? Come on, you've got Natalie Dutoy in front of you here. Yeah, I'm a bit gobsmacked, a little bit uh, shell-shocked, yeah, a little bit uh, awed. Um, yeah, no, look, I mean... Yeah, well, I mean, Natalie, if I look, look back at your career, I mean, it, 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 was, it was a long one, it was a good one. It, um, I suppose you've been asked this question many times, but do you actually miss it? Because, I mean, it was, it's hard work. People all, only always see the glory. You know, you're on the podium and so on, but they, they tend to forget the sacrifices and, and the long hours that you put in, the, the early nights, the early mornings and all that kind of stuff. Do you miss any of that? Well, I think, uh, you know, as we're watching the marathon on TV now as well, um, you know, it takes, I train towards eight hours towards the end of my career. And, sure. you know, from that perspective, it's you give up your personal life, you're studying, whatever it is. And I was just fortunate um, that I had said that by the age of 28, I would achieve everything that I put my mind to. And I was able to achieve that through my team as well. Um, and able to walk away and say there's nothing more that I can achieve. So from that perspective, uh, you know, it's, it's one phenomenal career. And so I've never had to look back and say, Oh, I want to get back into that water again. And there was one point after Beijing and, you know, towards the third year, so going into London 2011, um, you know, you go through a lot of politics and you go through challenges. Um, and I actually gave up swimming for about a year. And I, my manager said to me, Natalie, you've got to get in that water and finish it. You wanted to end in 2012. So I trained for about four to six months. Um, and that was the fitness that I had for the Paralympics. And I knew I wouldn't go out with a bang, but I wanted to, you know, end my career then and not have to come back and say I want to achieve more. So very grateful for those people that have been behind me and supporting me. Manfred, I see the marathon's finishing. Do you want to take us through what's been happening there? Yeah, that's, a, that's an impressive piece of running. Elliot Kipchoge of Kenya, he's lined up in eight marathons, and he's now won seven of eight of them. One of them is an Olympic marathon. And I can see here, Lelise is about to get caught on the line by Galen Rupp. This is going to be quite interesting. Rupp is a 10,000-meter specialist, 5,000, 10,000-meter specialist. He made his marathon debut at the marathon trials, the Olympic marathon trials in the States. And here he is coming back with a bronze medal at the Olympic Games. I think he's found his, uh, he's found his forte, his niche. Remember, he won uh, silver at the London Olympic 10,000 meters. And uh, Elisa is going to hold on, and, and, and Galen Rupp will take the, the bronze medal. But Elliot Kipchoge, 2.844. The last time I saw such a fast Olympic marathon was when uh, Samuel Wanjiro won it in Beijing in, in 2008. That's a long time ago. So this was utter domination, I think, between Rupp and Kipchoge. This is the next generation of marathon runners. And, and as far as I'm concerned, Kipchoge will break that marathon world record. Um, it is August now, so he probably won't be lining up in Berlin this year. But... Uh, I would imagine 2017 he will line up in Berlin. That's the course that you want to run the marathon in and, uh, and set a world record. So absolute phenomenal performance by the Kenyan. South African performance is unfortunately not what we were hoping for. Sibu Sisu Nzima and uh, Lusapo April were with the leaders up until halfway. Nzima ran a little bit uh, out of his depth because at halfway they were running at a 2.11 pace and that's just off his best. So he was right in the front there with the guys pushing the pace. He maybe should have stayed in the pack and uh, 27 kilometers he went backwards. Lusapo April also going backwards there. So at, uh, and at 35 kilometers he was, Lusapo April was down in 17th and he was over two minutes down on Elif Kipchoge. So, We'll have to wait and see when he comes in, but uh, yeah, this marathon is, is something special. Um, I, I rate Elliot Kipchoge's uh, performance as one of my top five of the Olympic Games. This, is, this has been something incredible. Alfred, we'll catch up with you again in a little while. You are with SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. SABC brings you the Rio 2016 Olympics live on SABC TV channels and SAFM. Let's go.
Let's talk to Natalie to tell you about why she's actually here. <laughs> Everything else except the Paralympics. Paralympics starting very, very soon. When do they start? It's uh, I know the swimming starts on the 7th. Like, yeah, so there we go. 7th to the 18th of September. So it's yeah. next week. A week after next. We are just as they get ready. You know, they just, uh, you, what's it like going to... You've been to both. Are they? How different are they? I think, uh, you know... In the village itself, all the branding, the changes from Olympics to Paralympics to the different signs. Um, in Beijing, I had two weeks between the Olympics and the Paralympics. And it's quite interesting because at the Olympics, I, I felt a lot more pressure. Um, I felt the pressure of all the athletes are there to do their best. Um, and they don't worry about anybody else. So that was challenging for me because, you know, usually we're a team and we work together as a team, etc. So mm. it's something that, you you know, you have to be able to handle. Paralympics was a bit different um, in that everybody, you know, ch- everybody chats to each other. Um, you know, you walk up and down the streets, um, you go to lunch with different teams and just had a very different, um, if I can call it a vibe, um, compared to Olympics for me. So from that perspective, uh, very different, but the actual Olympics and Paralympics are on par. Um, mm. You know, from the competitions to the organization um, for the Paralympics, they bring in disabled buses um, for the wheelchairs yeah, to be able to yeah. go on, on to. So it, it really goes from Olympics to literally uh, Paralympic friendly. And, and that's, it was quite special to see in Beijing. When you compete, uh, just the logistics, and I, I know Ernst van Dijk always goes on about his chair being lost, and uh, but the same thing happens with pole vaulting and, and javelin, same thing. But, I mean, I imagine for you, competing, you, you, how did you, you got to the pool with your leg, with your, your para, what's the word? Prosthesis. Prosthesis. There we go. So I'd have a couple of beers, John. Um, and then you'd leave it somewhere and hope that it's there when you come back. Well, no, um, you know, I think from that perspective, it's quite an interesting scenario because when you fly, a lot of the airlines, you can take golf bags. But if you don't book in as disabled, you can't take an extra leg. You have to pay for it as extra luggage. An extra luggage. Absolutely. So it's an extra bag. You have to pay for it. But, um, you know, because the, I traveled with two to three legs um, and literally, you know, one that can go in the water for able-bodied. Um, when it came to disabled, I used to uh, walk with my prosthesis to the side of the pool. There's mm. a lot of those uh, amputees that prefer to take crutches. Um, and there's usually one person that will take that to the edge of the pool where you can you can get the leg. Um, and my manager used to do a lot of that within South Africa especially, so I became quite spoiled. Mm. Um, one or two times, you know, your leg might not be there and you have to wait a little while because there's quite a few girls that sure. need to get their legs and arms or whatever else it is. So, you know, you just wait patiently. I think one of my most challenging was in Beijing at the able-bodied uh, Olympics, and I um, I finished swimming, and I had my leg in the start, so it has to go to the finish. And I was sitting on the finish, and I was absolutely dead, and I was just waiting, and I was waiting, and I was waiting, and my leg just wouldn't come. And apparently, they wouldn't let anybody come because they didn't believe there was a disabled person swimming. <laughs> so eventually, after about half an hour, my leg arrived, and I could then get up and, and walk out because um, you're just so tired. There's mm. no ways that you're ever going to hop. Okay, I can imagine. Let's talk about the Paralympics now. Uh, Ten different codes, archery, athletics, canoeing, cycling, equestrian, powerlifting, rowing, swimming, shooting, wheelchair, tennis. Traditionally, South Africa does extremely well at the Paralympic Games. What, what should we do this time around? Well, I think, uh, you know, we, we, have, we have the opportunity to do extremely well. So in Paralympic sport, it's, it's not like the Olympic sport. So when it comes to qualifying for Paralympics, 
you have different competitions throughout the years. Um, usually at your world championships, you have to be top two in the world to create a spot for your country. Sure. Um, from there, if you're not top two um, and you don't create a spot, there are other opportunities. So once the Paralympic Committee has seen a top two spot, so then becomes the top four, then becomes the top okay. six and top yeah. eight, until they have the amount of athletes um, that they're looking for to compete in the competition. So from that perspective, you know, you create the spots and then it's South Africa's uh, duty to then choose who are the best to uh, take up those spots. So I think, uh, you know, there were quite a few upsets um, when the teams were chosen, but I think those that are going are definitely, you know, the, the cream of the crop. And, you know, looking to, to do some good things in the pool. You know, you are definitely top six, top eight if you... If you do, if you are going to the Paralympics, Alain mm. uh, Ferreira, Shireen Sapiro, Emily Gray are the women with Ahmed Hussein, Henry Herbst, and Kevin Paul, all, all medalists. They all all have an opportunity. You know, uh, you get into that arena and you can get up on that block, and it's about who wants it the most. It's mm. about who's worked the hardest um, to be able to achieve it. You know, my last race, I won a silver. And I'm actually extremely grateful. I guess, like Michael Phelps, also went out with a silver, but. It's the next generation that's coming up, um, and it's an amazing generation to take over. So from that perspective, everyone has that opportunity, has an opportunity to go out there and get up on that block and give their absolutely all. Great chatting to you, Natalie. Thanks very much for popping into the studio for much longer than you were supposed to be here. So thanks very much for coming. Thank you. Natalie Detoy, Paralympian, Commonwealth Games, gold medalist, and award winner of just about every award ever, if you believe a Wikipedia page. She says, don't believe everything that's written on the Wikipedia page. But she's going to go adjust it now. No, I'm kidding. Natalie Detoy, joining us in studio. You are the SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader.